Turn to somebody near you and say halfway. You have made the halfway point. We are halfway through this umbrella series. And if I'd have known that it was going to make it rain, we would have done this a long time ago. <laughs> Great. It has rained so much since we got this thing started. Um, this week, I told you last week that last week and this week were going to be two pretty tough subjects. And so um, let's, let's do a recap if we can. Is, is God in the house? Uh, I meant Lizzie. <laughs> oh, there, there you are. Come on, God. Everybody give God a hand. Come on. I'll meet you over here. Come on. I mean, it's fantastic when a series brands you, you know, like Lizzie will forever be known as God. Come on. You've done such a great job. Do you like being God? God, would you like to open your own umbrella or do you want me to do it for you? Okay. Let's just do a really quick recap. So you're doing great so far. Perfect. Pull that down. Yes. I should have helped God. I'm sorry. There you go. Now, here, let's push. I'll just help God. It's all good. Here, God, can you hold that? Thanks. Teamwork. I'm on team God. Okay, so week one, we talked about, do you remember? We talked about direction, right? We talked about that God is our direct authority and so, again, the whole point of this series is that God wants to protect us. That's good, right? Y'all want to be protected by God? I want to be protected by God. Okay, that's not a trick question. So week one, we talked about direct authority, that there's an umbrella that God wants to place over our lives. So if we want God's protection, what does God sometimes do? He zags when we want to zig, or he zigs when we want to zag. So we talked about how God will sometimes just change course on us and maybe head that way. And we want to go this way. And so that first week we talked about if we want God's protection, we have to trust God's direction. He doesn't always go where we think he should go. But can we just agree that God's smarter than us? Okay, good job. God, could you come back over here, please? I'm sorry, let me come with you. And God, you direct me back over here. Thank you so much, God. If you could just direct me to the center of the platform. Thank you so much. Okay, that's perfect, perfect, perfect. So then last week I got out. Wendy's handy-dandy polka-dotted, Wendy's polka-dotted umbrella. Everybody say Wendy's. Wendy's. Not Paul's. And we talked about how there are also delegated authorities in our lives, right? So that there are, there are people, umbrellas under the umbrella. And we agreed that this is the hard part, right? That, that Romans 13, in a verse that none of us fully comprehend, says that, Leaders are placed there by God. And the leader that was placed there when Paul wrote that, does anybody remember his name? Starts with N and ends with Eero. Right, Nero. Good. So he was awful. He was, he was possibly one of the worst leaders the world's ever known. Let's just say he was Hitler before Hitler. Okay? And he tormented and tortured Christians. And Paul said about that leader that we're supposed to submit. How? Right? That's hard. So what we said last week was if we want God's protection, the big umbrella, we have to trust God's correction because sometimes God uses the leaders over us to correct us. Turn to the person next to you and tell them that wasn't for me, that was for you. I just thought I'd have you say out loud what you were already thinking, right? Okay. Are we, we doing good so far? Now, you, you hanging in there? Okay. This morning, what I want you to see is this. 
And here's why today's going to be hard. Pray for me, y'all. Okay, just say grace. Okay. The first two weeks, we've talked about things that are outside of our control. We've talked about God who we know we cannot control, right? We know that. We can't control where God leads us. And quite honestly, we really can't control where leaders lead us. So we've talked about things that are outside of our control. What we've talked about in the first two weeks in um, direction and correction, we've talked about when other people move the umbrella away from us. God goes that way, or maybe a leader shifts, and we suddenly have to make a decision. But this morning, everybody take a deep breath. This morning, we're not talking about things that are outside of our control. This morning, we're talking about when we walk away from the umbrella. I know, my heart is beating so fast right now. Can you hold both of those? So God doesn't move, and leaders don't move, but we willingly walk this way. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So thank you so much. God, you did amazing always. God, you're always so good at this. Give God a big, big hand. I'm coming with you, God. We already gave you a big hand clap of praise, and now we just gave you another one. Awesome. Good job. What do you do with big umbrellas when you're done with them? Just leave them on the floor. Okay. So let me give you the big idea Right, right up front. We've talked about God's direction, and we've talked about God's correction, and this morning we're going to talk about God's rejection. Ugh. Right? I felt it too. So if we want God's protection, understand his rejection. Now, that can mean a lot of things, and you could have a lot of questions right now, but we're going to kind of go through it slowly and intentionally and figure it out. How about we pray? Father, in your name, Jesus, here's what we know. That your word, Hebrews 4.12, says your word is alive, God. So anytime we come to your word, your word's going to start doing things in us. And we, this morning, just say we trust you. We trust your word. We love, God, how you want to make us look more like Jesus. In your, in your name, Lord. Amen. All right. So we're going to acknowledge the obvious first. Raise your hand if you like to be rejected. That's what I thought. Nobody likes to be rejected. Um, I, I mean, we could all tell stories, right? Can you, uh, guys in the room, can you remember back to the first time you worked up the nerve to ask somebody on a date? But now, nowadays, it's not just the guys. It could be the ladies, too. The first time you worked up the nerve to actually ask somebody out loud, face-to-face, hopefully you didn't do this through text, on a date. Let me just rephrase that. If somebody asked my daughter out on a date by text, the answer is no. Right? So we want to meet people, right? And the first time you worked up the nerve, I remember meeting dads and, like, going through that process and, like, the fear of hearing the word no. Anytime that we're rejected, um, we don't have time to go into this story, but, you know, I, I was a beanpole in high school, and in college I got this crazy idea that I could play football. I remember going to Wingate and, and just transferring just to play football. I had no business doing that. I never played football, but I transferred to try to play football, and I remember the heartbreak of being cut from the team. Anytime you're rejected, it's like somebody's saying, you're not quite good enough. So I want you to know right up front 
Nobody in this room should enjoy the idea of rejection. And then on top of that, to read that slide and associate God with rejection, that really makes us feel on the inside. Like, is that really something that God would do? So I want to just take a minute and ask the question, is rejection even a biblical concept? Okay? Because if it isn't, let's just wrap it all up and go eat some lunch, right? But if it is, listen to this, we can't afford to reject rejection. Okay? So here's some scripture verses. Write them down. Let's go all the way back. Lucifer was an angel before he was a snake. And so here's what the Bible says about Lucifer in Isaiah chapter 14, 12 through 14. It says this, how, how you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb up to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Now that's what happened with Lucifer, who we know as Satan. So he rebelled and he said, I'm going to be higher than God. I want your position. And God did not do this. He didn't open the door of heaven and go, you know, it'd be nice if he just left. What does the Bible say he did? He threw him down, right? He threw him down. That's rejection. Do you agree? Thankfully, when I asked people out on dates, it didn't end like that. I mean, they'd say no, but they didn't throw me down. Um, 1 Samuel 15, verse 23. Uh, now, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 15 a lot today. So if you've got it on your Bibles, just put your, put your finger there, or bookmark it or whatever. We'll come back to it. But I want you to hear um, how, this last, how this verse ends. Samuel's talking to Saul, and he says this. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has what? Rejected you as king. I'm not sure if you just didn't want to answer or if you can't read. I'm messing with you. It's rejected. Now, if you're like me, I typically read things in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is just as much part of the Bible as the New Testament, but do you ever find yourself saying, yeah, but that was the Old Testament? Nobody else, just me? Sometimes I, I try to, what I'm doing is I'm trying to worm my way out of things in the Bible that I don't like in the Old Testament by saying, yeah, but that was before Jesus. Jesus is love. Jesus is coming. God would never reject anybody now that Jesus is here. And again, rejection, hard for our culture. How do you talk about rejection, even as a biblical concept, to a culture that thinks everybody gets a trophy? It's a very hard concept for our culture, okay? So I'm, I'm giving you freedom to, on the inside, push against it, but I'm not giving you freedom to push against the Word of God, Right? We just recognize this is a hard concept because nobody likes to be rejected. But let's look at the New Testament. Titus chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. Now just listen. This is advice that Paul is writing. And he says this, Don't get involved in foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees. Because he's talking to Jews and Gentiles and like, yeah, hey, we're, we're in God's family because we're Jews. We've, we don't have to necessarily follow Jesus, but we believe because we're in, we're in the church because of our heritage, our bloodline. And so they have all these discussions, all these arguments. And he says, don't get involved in those foolish discussions or in quarrels or fights about obedience to Jewish laws. 
These things are useless and a waste of time. Verse 10, if people are causing divisions among you, just make sure you got this. He's not talking about people that aren't there. He's writing to a church. And he says, if there are people who are causing divisions among you, turn to the person next to you and say, I hope it's not me. (laughs) It's not you. I'm just playing with you. Like nobody here is, this is, again, like I told you before, we're not doing this series because we're targeting certain things in the church. This is just God's word. Like this is just good counsel for churches in general. So he says, if people are causing divisions among you, so they're in the church, give a first and second warning. This sounds like parenting. After that, have nothing more to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the truth. They have turned from the umbrella and chosen to walk away. And their own sins condemn them. What I want you to see is that even in the New Testament, there was rejection. It was a command from God. Hey, give them a chance. Give them a second chance. But if they refuse, like, have nothing to do with them. That's hard. It's hard for us to even wrap our brains around it. You feeling it? Are you feeling it? And we haven't even got to the hard part yet. Come on, y'all. Goodness gracious. So if rejection is a concept that can happen, then I think here's the question we have to ask ourselves. What causes God to reject people? Because I don't know how you are. Full disclosure, you ever ask the question, how far is too far? Um, Probably when you're dating and you were like, you know, Maybe tempted to do things you shouldn't do, and so you would ask the question, how far is too far? You know why that's such a bad question? The only way to find out is to go too far. You have to cross the line and go, oh, that was too far. And then you back up, right? So most people in their Christian walk, if this is the edge of the cliff, what we ask God is, how close can I walk to the edge of the cliff without falling off? Now, more about this next week. We're going to end this series on a positive. Aren't you glad about that? I can't wait to get to next week. I cannot wait. But we've got to get through this before we get to next week. But what God's after are not hearts that say, how close can I flirt with the edge, but how far can I get away from it? How safe can I live my life? Not safe physically, but spiritually. How close can I be to God and not be near the edge? So if there's rejection in the Bible, and we just showed that there is, if there's rejection in the Bible, then what we should be asking ourselves is not how much can I do and not get rejected, but how far away can I get from the edge? I don't even want to be near that. I've talked to people before who are doing things that in the Bible, the Bible says if you do those things consistently, you won't go to heaven. And, like, they get an attitude, like, are you, you can't tell me what I can and can't do. I'm like, you're right. I can't. I'm just reading verses. And all, and all I'm saying is, like, the verses I'm reading would seem to indicate that the life you're living is on very thin ice. And why would you want to put your entire eternity on thin ice when Jesus is thick ice? Like, live your life on solid ground, not so close to the edge that one strong, one bad mistake or one bad day could push you over. I know nobody talks like that, but I did. Okay. So here we go. So let's go back to 1 Samuel 15. We're going to be here for a lot of this morning. 1 Samuel 15. 
I want to see what caused Saul to be rejected. Because it's, have you ever heard the expression, it's, it's, it's good to learn from your mistakes? It's better to learn from somebody else's, right? Like, if we could be smart enough to learn from somebody else's mistakes, then we wouldn't have to make the same ones, right? So let's see if we can learn from, from Saul's mistake, okay? The whole story is, um, we're going to read 1 Samuel 15, 1 through 23. But just quickly, just look at verse 23 first, okay? Let's see why he was rejected. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, stubbornness as bad as worse being idols. Because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So what, what, caused, what caused him to be rejected was rebellion. Like, this sermon is full of words we hate, isn't it? Rebellion caused the rejection. So I want to see what we can learn about rebellion, okay? So we're going to read the whole story. You ready? The first thing I want you to see about rebellion, if you're taking notes, just write down, it's deceptive. Rebellion is deceptive. You'll see it in just a second. Check this out. Verse 1. One day Samuel said to Saul, now Samuel is a prophet, Saul is a king. If we're talking about umbrellas in the Old Testament, prophet was above king. Kings would actually call in prophets to give them direction from the Lord, okay? If you've read through the Old Testament with us this year, you've already seen that sometimes kings would call in bad prophets to try to get a word from the Lord that they wanted, right? But every time a king didn't listen to a prophet, the king typically got punished. That should give us an indication about how God sees the structure of authority in the Old Testament, okay? So Samuel says to Saul, it was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation, men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, donkeys. I don't want to gloss over what a weird and hard verse that is, but I just want to make sure what you see here is not so much like Holy cow, why would God say to do that? But that he just, he did, okay? For today's message, he said, this is what I want you to do. He said, completely destroy, verse 4. So, so Saul mobilized his army. There were 200,000 soldiers from Israel and 10,000 men from Judah. And then Saul and his army went to a town of the Amalekites, and they lay in wait in the valley. Saul sent this warning to the Kenites. Move away from where the Amalekites live, or you will die with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites packed up and left. Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites. Sounds like he's obeying, doesn't it? it sounds like it. It's a weird story, I know, but he's, he's doing what he was told to do. Verse 8, he captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and the goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. Verse 10. Then the Lord said to Samuel, because Samuel wasn't necessarily with him, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he's not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went on to Gilgal. 
Y'all still with me? Verse 13. When Samuel finally found him, now here's where I want you to see the deception. Saul greeted him cheerfully. Now, I've joked before about being like, you know, I was raised in Pentecostal churches. So, like, when a prophet, somebody who had the gift of prophecy would come to speak, like, you know, we would sit in the, in the pews and repent of everything we'd ever done wrong, right? You didn't want to meet those people because you felt like they would see into your soul, right? So what I want you to see is, has Saul done what God asked? No. He didn't completely destroy the Amalekites because he kept the king and he kept the best of the sheep and goats and all that, right? But how did he greet the authority in his life? It says he greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command. Now, either he's lying or he's deceived. And given the whole story, I think he's deceived. And here's what Samuel said, verse 14. Then what is all the bleeding of sheep, bleating of sheep and goats, and the lowing of cattle that I hear? Basically, Samuel said, you're telling me that you completely obeyed, but I still hear Amalekite things alive. Verse 15, Saul's response. It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle, Saul admitted. But they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We've destroyed everything else. And then Samuel said to Saul, stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you, Saul asked. Probably expecting something good. Verse 17, Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag. Can you, do you hear this? He's like arguing how he actually obeyed while he tells them what he did in disobedience. It's called deception. And the American church is full of it. We have deceived ourselves that we have obeyed God when we haven't. And we tell God about it. I don't even know what examples to use, right? But God, I really love her. You're a God of love. Of course, I, I love you. You know my heart. I mean, I'm all for you. And I, and I love her. Person I'm not married to, I live with. I killed them all. I, I even kept the king. Did you see, Samuel's like, wait, wait, what? Do you hear what you're saying? You're, you're explaining your obedience through your disobedience. But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission. I brought back the king, but I destroyed everything else. And then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, the goats, the cattle, the plunder, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Just, I can't even get past this. Do you see the insanity of offering our disobedience to God as a sacrifice? Verse 22, but Samuel replied, This is the verse that you may have heard before. What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. Submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. Stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. 
So because you have rejected the command of the, king, the Lord, he has rejected you as king. This is what led up to his rejection. I'm going to give you a statement that is going to sound horrible, and we're not going to want to agree with it. But I think I'm submitting this like I'm on a journey with you, right? I'm not the expert here, but I'm submitting it to you according to the word that we just read. I want to make this statement. 99% obedience is 100% disobedience. There's a part of me, quite honestly, that feels like we could stop now and just run to the altar. Because that doesn't make sense to the fair American mind. I have one of those as well, right? I want to be like, but God, he did 99%. Like that is an A plus. Isn't that an A plus in, in our schooling system? 99%? It's up there, right? Like that's a 3.99999 GPA. You get scholarships for that stuff. And here's this little skinny-ish white pastor telling me that God's not happy with 99%, that he actually says because you left 1% out, it's 100% disobedience. I'm not saying it. I think we just read it. I think that's what he just said in the Scriptures. He said to obey is better than sacrifice. Like don't come in here bringing your sacrifice that's, trying to make up for what you didn't do that God said he wanted you to do. That led to his rejection. This is rebellion. Holy cow, we got to move faster. Okay, so rebellion is deceptive. Here's the second thing. Rebellion is contagious. Um, I'm not going to read entire number 16. It's the whole chapter, but just jot it down. I want you to read through this later. It's called Korah's Rebellion. Okay. I'm going to give you kind of the gist of what's going on. So in number 16, there's about 250 leaders that rose up against Moses and Aaron. Okay? They, they, they basically said, why do you think you're so much better than we are? Can't we all hear from God? The answer is, yeah. Right? So they rebelled against Moses' leadership. So Moses comes up with this plan where he says, hey, look, let's do this. Um, Let's ask God, because I think when they first accused Moses, like, why do you think you're better than we are? The first thing Moses did was fall on his knees and say to God, help. Well, what, what do we do with this, right? Now, again, this is not because there's somebody in our church named Korah, okay? It's not because somebody in our church is challenging my leadership. I couldn't, well, I shouldn't say I couldn't care less because of what we're teaching, but that's not my deal. I, I know who I am, what I'm called to do. Like, I'm confident in that, Right? I'm not worried about that at all. But the point you're going to see in this story is what happens when we become rebellious against authority that God has put over us. Okay? Hang in there. It's going to get better next week. So let's just, I'm going to give you a couple, a couple verses. Um, verse 10, verse 10, um, Korah says this. Kor, he's, Moses says, Kor, he's already given this special ministry to you and your fellow Levites. Are you now demanding the priesthood as well? So Kor is not satisfied with the place that God's put him in. He wants more. This sounds very much like Lucifer that we read about earlier. Verse 12, um, then Moses summoned 
Dothan and Abraham, the sons of Elijah, but they replied, we refuse to come before you. That's interesting, isn't it? Rebellion, like we don't even want to meet with Moses. He's asked to meet with us, and we're like, no. Verse 19. Meanwhile, Korah had stirred up the entire community against Moses and Aaron. And they all gathered at the tabernacle entrance. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to the whole community. He, he, rebellion is it's contagious. He stirred up everybody, right? He stirred up the whole place. Verse 29 and 30. Um, I'm sorry, verse, verse 22, just to see the heart of Moses here. But Moses fell face down on the ground. Oh, God. You are the God who gives breath to all. Must you be angry with all the people when only one man sins? Because at this point, God was like, I just want to wipe them all out. And Moses was interceding for the very people who were challenging his leadership. What a humble leader that is, right? And he's like, God, but don't, why wipe them all out if it's just Korah, right? And then verses 29 through 30. Anybody here like irony? I love irony, unless it happens to me, right? But, like, you know, so if you're a little bit sarcastic, you know, like you're, you like that kind of stuff, you'll love these verses. I love these verses. you got to see the whole scene, okay? So Moses tells Korah to get all of his guys to step out in front of their tents. And they're basically going to have this showdown to see who God's for, right? And then God, because God loves people and he's responded to Moses interceding, says, hey, Moses, tell everybody to move as far away from those tents as possible. Now, look, when you're in a camp full of a couple million people and God says, tell all the people to move as far away from those, those tents right there, get as far away as you can, and people start moving away from your tent and you're just kind of standing there, to me, I'm like, what's happening? This can't, this can't be good, right? When you were young and you got called to the principal's office, nobody ever said, yay, right? It was like, oh, snap, right? This might not end well. So verse, verse 29 this is, we'll pick it up in verse 28. And Moses said to all the people, this is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all the things that I've done, for I've not done, done them on my own. Verse 29, if these men die a natural death, you know, if nothing unusual happens, then the Lord has not sent me. Verse 30, but if the Lord does something entirely new, I don't know, say like if the ground were to open up and swallow them and all their belongings and they go down alive into the ground. What, he's just coming up with that, like just coming up with that off the top of his head? And the next verse, guess what happens? It says, as he had barely finished speaking, what he just said happened. Now, y'all are smart people. If, if somebody said that and then that happened, would you not go, oh, yeah, I think Moses is the man, right? Yeah, wouldn't it be great if rebellion could be taken care of just like that? But what I want you to see is at the end of the verse, of the end of chapter, verse 41. But the very next morning, because this is how contagious rebellion is, the whole community of Israel began muttering again against Moses and Aaron. The day before they watched the ground open up and swallow, all those people, all their families, all their cattle, all their tents, everything they had into the ground, gone. And the very next day, they were back at it again. Different people. So much so that a plague went through 
the camp, and we see at the end of the chapter, verse 49, that almost 15,000 people died in that plague. More people died the day after the leaders of the rebellion died because rebellion is contagious. I want you to see that is contagious. It's also dishonoring. You guys good? Man, this is taking, man, wow. Y'all are going to be like, I'm going to rebel against this sermon and leave. It's long. You're good. Hang in there. It's also dishonoring, okay? It's dishonoring. Uh, quickly, Genesis chapter 9. Y'all know the story of Noah and the flood? So after the flood, this is after the flood. It says this in verse 20. After the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground, and he planted a vineyard. One day, he drank some wine he had made, and he became drunk and lay naked inside his tent. How many of y'all did not know that verse was in the Bible? It was. It is. Verse 22, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that his father was naked and went outside and told his brothers. This is so real life, isn't it? I mean, not real life. Sorry, I'm not saying you saw your father naked, but like, that's such a kid. And he's like, hey, y'all, come see dad's naked. He's naked inside the tent, y'all. Dad is naked in the tent, and he's drunk. Verse 23, then Shem and Japheth took a robe, I want you to see this, they took a robe, they held it on their shoulders, and they backed into the tent so that they could lay that over their dad so that they would not have to see their father naked. How many of you right now agree that that was a smart move? I don't want to see my dad naked, right? People say the Bible is not applicable to real life. Read that again. Like, I don't want to see my dad naked, right? Nobody wants to see their dads naked. Nobody. Nobody. Possibly not even their spouse, right? Nobody wants to see dad naked. They backed in. Listen, why? Why did they do that? Because they wanted to honor their father. They wanted to honor their father who was not being a good father. Not the best example. And they covered his nakedness. Listen, rebellion is dishonoring. Submission is honoring. Submission covers. Rebellion tries to expose. So the end result of that story is that Noah cursed Ham but blessed his other two sons. Now we're going to wrap this up. I'm trying to. I don't want to get spooky, but he cursed Ham. So it's October, right? So what do we typically associate, like, curses with? Am I take a guess? Sorry, what was that? Witches, yeah. So, you know, it's Halloween, it's witches, you know, it's all about candy, right? Oh, and you're like, oh, this is the part where he's going to talk about, like, we shouldn't dress up. No, no, I just want to make sure you see, like, he talks about curses. Like, the result of the rebellion of Ham against his father, instead of covering up his father, he rebelled against it. He tried to expose it even more. The result of that was that his father cursed him. Back to 1 Samuel 15, verse 23. I don't know if you saw, if you picked up on this or not the first time I read it, but that verse starts with this. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. We all know the to obey is better than sacrifice part, but in that, in that verse, 
God equates rebellion with witchcraft. Holy cow, y'all. Now, I know what you're thinking. We think witches, we think of the green face, right? Definitely got to be a big mole or wart somewhere on the face. A crooked nose, tall pointy hat, broomstick, right? But God doesn't equate witchcraft with any of that stuff. He equates witchcraft with rebellion. Again, I didn't make this up. I'm just reading to you what's in the Bible. He equated, he said, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. Hey, it's really, really popular right now to call out idols in the church. Oh, you've made TV an idol. You've made your family an idol. You've made the church an idol. Idol, 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 idol. Hey, I'm cool. Let's play the game. Stubbornness is an idol. Well, now that's, God didn't really mean that. He, he wrote it. Rebellion is like witchcraft and stubbornness like idolatry. I want you to see this is hard. It's not, it's not something we talk about a lot. Witchcraft is about spells and curses. And, and here's why. Curse, spells, is just a witch's way to control the circumstance, to control the environment. Oh, I don't really like how you are, so I'm going to put a spell on you to make you how I want you to be. Or I'm going to put a curse on you to punish you because I think you deserve to be punished. Rebellion is about me saying, I'm going the way I want to go. And God equates that with witchcraft because they're both about control. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm so glad this message is not about me. Just a little bit harder and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Listen to this statement. Sometimes we disobey because we doubt God's commands, okay? Sometimes we disobey because we doubt. Rebellion disobeys because it discounts God's commands. Let me rephrase it this way. Are y'all still good? You good? Okay. The first sin happened in the Garden of Eden. Does Does anybody remember what Satan asked Eve? He said, did God really say? Okay, so did God really say caused Eve to doubt what God said? You with me? And because she doubted, she did take the fruit she sinned, gave it to Adam, and now here we are, right? Here we are all these years later. Thank you, Jesus, that he came, right? She doubted, but now check this out. Rebellion doesn't doubt God's word. You can't rebel unless you know it. You have to understand it to rebel. So let me just say it this way. Rebellion changes the phrase, changes the question, did God really say to this question, did God really mean? I know he said, don't eat from the fruit, but did he, did he really mean that? He said, completely wipe out the Amalekites, but did God really mean completely wipe them out? See the shift? And the Bible calls that rebellion. And worse than that, the Bible calls it witchcraft. And worse than that, the Bible says we're cursed if we do it. Surely God would not want me to keep, not keep the best of the animals to sacrifice to him. Surely when God said wipe out all, he he didn't mean it as harsh as that sounds. And so I'm going to keep some of it for myself, and I'm going to even sacrifice it back to God. 
Do you see how Saul was deceived and started thinking about all the ways that he could make God's command better? Instead of simply taking at face value what God said and doing it. Rebellion thinks it knows a better way. And Saul learned is that rebellion walks away from the umbrella of God and ultimately leads to his rejection. Red numbers. Okay, so that means get finished, Paul. So when, if you ever look at my outlines, you'll see this. We have the, like the takeoff, which is like the, um, the introduction, and then we have like the, the the message, and then we have something called the landing. And it's because in my head, when I, when I see a message, I think of it like a, fl- a flight on a plane, right? So, like, we're taking off, and then we're hanging up here, like we're cruising at whatever, what, 36,000 feet? Is that what you cruise at? You cruise a little bit. But at some point, we can't talk forever. We have to land the plane, right? So the ending, for me, I always think of it as the landing. Like, I want us to land so we can like, walk out of here. And I was thinking about this this week. This is now my 331st message since the church started. Wow, it's crazy. <laughs> Clapping as if you've actually heard all of them, right? <laughs> some, are, some are better than others. There might be five that are worth it. But So of, of all the previous 330 messages, I feel like this is the most important landing we've ever had. I mean, I feel the weight of this moment. One, because I know how easy it would be to understand everything I've just said. My heart is not to control. Because if my heart was to control this church, then what am I guilty of? Witchcraft. Did y'all hear the message? (laughs) Right? So this cuts me just like it cuts you, right? This is a serious matter. This is such a serious matter. Let me just make sure you understand this. That the worship team, they're not going to come back out and play at the end. We're going to play a song because I want the entire church free to bow their knee to the Lord. I want everybody free to repent. I won't hold the mic either. I'll be down here somewhere, right? This is a, this is a serious matter to the Lord. When he equates it that strongly with witchcraft, then we have to take a gut and spirit check and say, holy cow, God, where am I? I want to be clear, okay? Rebellion is about turning our hearts away from the clear direction of God. So often the only way that God can reveal the control in our hearts is through commands from leaders. Okay? Now this is un-American, right? Rebellion is saying no to a very clear yes. When God says do this, it's a very clear direction and we say, I'm not doing that. That's rebellion, right? So um, this is good news for those of you that are feeling the weight of this. You can't accidentally rebel. You cannot accidentally rebel. It's intentional, right? It's intentional. It's hearing God's clear command and saying no. What I want you to understand, just to bring this back into the whole umbrella series, and I say this humbly and with a lot of trepidation because I happen to, I know that I'm, I know that I am an umbrella. I know that I'm one of the umbrellas under the umbrella, right? And I don't take that lightly at all. But just listen closely to this. Sometimes the way God reveals rebellion in our heart is through instruction from umbrellas. Let me just give you scriptural evidence. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. This is a crazy verse. 2 Corinthians 2, 9. Paul's writing, and here's what he says. I wrote to you as I did 
this meaning the way he wrote 1 Corinthians, I wrote to you as I did to test you and see if you would fully comply with my instructions. I don't like to be tested. Do you? And Paul, this is in the Bible, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, I wrote harshly in the first letter to test you and see if you would fully comply. Not 99%, 100, fully comply with my teaching. Why would he say that? And here's what I believe, according to Scripture, that there are times that leaders over us have insight into our lives that we don't even have. And to reject what they're saying to us because we don't like it, this is a strong word, okay? Y'all weigh it yourselves. Search Scripture, push back all you want, talk to Jesus about it. But to, dis, to, to disregard what a leader that God's put over us is saying is not much different than what Saul did to Samuel. It's saying this, not did God say, but did God really mean that? One quick example, and then we'll get that song ready. I told you last week that I, I, know, I'm, I know I have rebellion in me, right? I know it's, it's been something in me my whole life. Um, if you say jump, I'm going to stand. And if you say stand, I'm going to jump. It's just, I mean, maybe it comes naturally to everybody, but I feel like it really comes naturally to me. So when we felt like God told us to start this church, you know, I was, I was on staff at First Assembly, and that's like, what, 1.73 miles away from here? You're not supposed to probably start churches that close together. And um, we really knew that God said do it. And so I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm going to tell you the quick history of how this church started. It started with me sitting in Pastor Bob Groover's office and saying these words to him. Pastor, I love this church, and I love you. I really believe that God has told me to start a church in a coffee shop in Albemarle, right downtown. But if that will hurt you or hurt the church, if you can't get 100% behind that, I think we'll just move our family to another city and plant a church. But I'm submitting what I feel like God's told me to you because you're my pastor. Now, we can play the theoretical game all day, all day long. Well, what if he'd have said no? Well, I'm thankful that he said yes, right? But I will tell you this, that when he said yes, my next conversation was in was in the district office of the state of the Assemblies of God. And I said to the district leadership, the person over the entire state, listen, I've talked to my pastor, and he said he's good with it, but I'm bringing this to you because if you don't want a second Assemblies of God church in the same town that already has one and only has 16,000 people, that's your call. I feel like God has told us to do it, but if you say no, I won't do it. Now, we can play the theoretical game there, too. What if he just said no? Well, we wouldn't have a church here because we would not have done it. One more step. So then the Assemblies of God does this thing called a church planner assessment. That's where they talk to you and make sure you're not crazy, right? Because they're thinking to themselves, why would anybody want to plant a church, right? Let's make sure he's not losing his mind, right? So we got to do like a five-hour Skype call. We are sitting on our couch looking at a computer for five hours while they ask us these questions. 
And we had for months, and this is a long process, for months after having those two conversations, we were like, thank goodness God said, yes, we can do it. And then we heard about this assessment. And so the way the assessment ends is they either give you a red light, green light, or yellow light. And so they, red light means <laughs> no, right? Green light means, man, you're going to kill it. Go for it. And yellow, the yellow light's like, well, it's not as bad as no, but it's not quite as good as yes. Let's just kind of hold out for a little bit. Basically, everything that we felt God was telling us to do was dependent on getting a green light from people we didn't even know. This dude was in Colorado. He doesn't know us. He doesn't know our heart. You ever have these conversations with people? You don't know me. Don't judge me. And he had the power to say no to what we knew God had said. And the popular thing in culture today is, screw you, I'm going to do what God said. Sorry, was that too real? And so we wrestled with, I, I think I said those words to Wendy. <laughs> After we passed the Pastor Bob test and the district test, I think I actually said to Wendy, I don't care if they say no. Pastor said yes. The district said yes. If they say no, forget it. We're doing it anyway. And, man, I'm telling you, on, on, the, on the months leading up to that assessment, the way God started to change our hearts, and here's how we started to see that conversation. We started to realize, God, you love us. You've placed people over us to protect us from ourselves, us from people, and people from us. And if you say no through that man that doesn't know us and is sitting in his house in Colorado, we're going to obey. Rebellion is deceptive. And it's possible that right now this morning, you've deceived yourself into thinking that God's completely okay with your 99% obedience. And as harsh as it may sound, as someone who has walked that road and is still walking that road, I, by the full authority of Scripture, am calling you to repent. Because God doesn't want your 99%. He wants it all. He wants it all. Now, if you're a believer in the house, I'm not in any way, shape, or form saying to you that I think you can walk right out of the hand of God. But this is not a message about salvation. This is not a series about salvation. This is a series about protection. And I 100% believe that as a child of God, you can walk right out of his protection. You can rebel yourself with 99% obedience right out of his protection because he wants it all. And there are no half measures with our God. He didn't send his son to die 99%. He sent him to pay the whole price. And so this morning, I'm calling our church, if it applies to you, and how could it not, to repent. To simply bow your knee and repent. Or in the words of this song, Run to the Father. You respond while it plays. First John 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of 99%. All 
See, that's the beautiful thing about our Savior is he demands all, but he gives all, right? He doesn't, there's no half measure even in his forgiveness. He says, I'll forgive all your sins, cleanse all your iniquities. And I'm so thankful for that because over all of this message is the grace of God, right? The grace of God. The grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave it all to us. And so as we head out, listen, this is a heavy message. I get it. It's a lot to chew on. I'm just encouraging you, chew, right? Chew on it. Study the notes. Study the scriptures. Be Bereans, right? And learn. God, it's just, it's just truth. It's just from you. It's just what your word says. And then just simply respond with that simple God, I'm coming to you. Restore my heart. Renew my heart. Pour your grace over the areas where I fall short. Father, in your name, Jesus, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you speak to us because you love us, that you would even say these things in Scripture because your heart is to steer us as far away from the cliff as possible. We'll see that next week, God, that you are calling us to be as close to you as possible. Because your heart is that we would never, never experience the rejection that Saul did. The rejection that those people that you wrote to Titus about did. Your heart is that we would always have your protection God, and so we understand rejection, and we reject it today, God. We don't want any part of it. Cleanse our hearts, God. Remove even the slightest hint of rebellion from my heart, God. Give me a heart that beats yes to you, I pray. In your name, Jesus, amen.